Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Will from America. We are back. Tough as nails. Episode number six recap. I'm Rob Sesternino. And hello, everybody. Welcome in. Uh, let's uh, bring in our savage crew here for another recap of Tough as Nails. Okay, of course, uh, back with us once again, a woman who uh, I have a feeling probably could run the conduit through the f- frame of a house. I would imagine probably uh, pretty easy. Uh, Jessica Lee, Jess, how are you? Uh, well, Rob, I got I got a few pterodactyls in my stomach tonight. Um, but I'm ready to do whatever we need. And yes, I would put money down on which one of the three of us could do that conduit. It was probably me. me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And a man uh, who always has uh, a few kinks in his conduit. Uh, here is Mr. <laughs> Mike Bloom. Mike, how are you? It's tough to see a doctor nowadays about that, given the stipulations. Uh, I'm good. You know, was thinking by the end of this episode, I might be a hurt man. But I think given the results of overtime, I'm doing pretty happy, all things considered. Now, typically, uh, we are joined by our fourth wheel here on our Toughest Nails uh, recap. Where is my man Phil at? No, okay. Phil Kogan uh, cannot be with us uh, this week uh, that uh, Phil has uh, uh, some other obligations uh, other than talking to us. And he was doing some press uh, for the show uh, and was not able to be with us for this week. But we have hope to have Phil back with us uh, coming up next week. But we're still going to have a lot of fun talking about Tough as Nails, episode number six. Mike, what would you think of episode six? Well, first off, I would say uh, welcome to everybody who thought Big Brother was on at eight and accidentally watched an episode of Tough as Nails <laughs> yeah. without realizing it. Welcome so so people accidentally watched Tough as Nails and then they're like, and they liked it so much they want a podcast. I mean, that's that's my hope personally. Uh, but, or but is who's this to for say? the people who thought that all the podcasts were going to be Big Brother podcasts and are accidentally listening to this? Well, I'm assuming that you're going to call this Big Brothers parentheses tough as nails just to get the SEO going. Um, but th- this this episode, I so look, there are things I'm going to quibble with that we'll certainly get into. But I I think this had two of the best challenges in this season so far. And from that perspective, I actually really liked this episode. I thought the team challenge was like that great combination of the life skills that Phil's been talking about with some more gaminess that we experience in typical reality TV challenges. And maybe it's because of the results, but I love the overtime challenge. The individual challenge, we could sort of, you know, yada, yada through. Uh, But I mean, I I think that from like a drama perspective and from a challenge perspective, uh, this, the, the, the hits keep on hitting for Tough as Nails. Yeah, Jess, and the headline uh, tonight was Michelle, again, uh, much like Young, uh, goes back to the OT challenge and uh, walks away really with a blowout. I mean, you have to stand Michelle, although I feel like maybe it's a little harder to stand her this episode. She did not have a great run up to this. Yeah, she she had an ops first half and a stand second half. Okay. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, that that's one of the things that I'd like to talk about today of, you know, is is Michelle not being used well by Savage Crew because it seems like based on her performance in the individual tasks that she is a, you know, a standout performer who can rise to the occasion. I'm wondering if Savage Crew just has not unlocked how to use Michelle properly. 
I think the interesting thing is that they're kind of figuring it out one person at a time, what each person is good at. And they keep saying like they're, you know, they're building up to it. It's gradual. But I really thought maybe Michelle seemed like the only person up to this point who was really pulling her weight on Savage Crew. But you can see where the things that she was good at prior to this are really not helping her in this challenge. Because I think they, the consensus they all came to was, let's look at what we were doing the one time we won, mm-hmm. and we'll do that again, and this should inspire better results. But the one thing that they, the one person who wasn't really subscribing to that mentality was Michelle, who was saying, well, I have ideas. You need to listen to my ideas. We need to bring my ideas into it, because she was the idea person before. And it really it clashed against what everybody else was doing. They're like, well, we have our strategy. We're going to stick to the strategy. We don't need to hear the additional ideas midway through the challenge. And I think that was, I think that was the trouble with Michelle was she had ideas and she was not, she was not sticking to the plan. I stick to the plan. Mike, was Michelle the leader last week in the uh, quarry challenge? Well, first off, uh, I'm surprised you didn't say tough as Keith Nail. It was right there oh. for you, Rob. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember. I believe that that was the problem, right? Was that, you know, uh, I don't think Michelle was the leader. Oh, yeah. M- Michelle was the leader of last challenge. Sorry, I was just looking back in my notes. And she was the one who hung back and helped with Lynette to seal up the bags. And I think this time, maybe it was just a matter of, you know, Michelle has done a great job in previous challenges of like, being able to have a role that's maybe less physically oriented and more organizationally oriented. And Savage Crew certainly could have made the decision to be like, okay, Michelle, you stay behind and you help, you know, designate the barrels. But it really did seem like this challenge more so than the other ones was really an all hands on deck. Everyone has to be moving at all times to get stuff done. And I think what the folly that that Michelle fell into with Savage Crew is that I also think, particularly when it came to the memorization of the whatever serial numbers and letters that were on each barrel, Michelle just has a different way of memorizing things. Uh, And I think as a result, that caused her to sort of go off on her own path. Quite literally speaking, she was going to the bathroom at one point, apparently. Uh, And so that, you know, I think she'd be allowed to go to the bathroom. Maybe she actually did have to go to the bathroom. Is there no bathroom (laughs) break during the challenge? I did like that when she's like, Oh, this pass ahead. Murph's like, I believe that's the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I think it was a thing where Michelle yeah. sort of had her own way of like, okay, I know I have to memorize. We, we each have to memorize a thing. This is how I do it my way. And that jutted up against what the team was doing. And so unfortunately, this well-oiled machine of Savage Crew like actually started to break apart. And even though they ended up finishing very closely, who knows, had Michelle not gone a wayward path with some of those barrels, maybe they would have gotten that win there. Just the thing that I'm having a hard time trying to figure out is that it, is Michelle really a uh, a player that is a, a problem for this team, or is, or, or like is she or is she being picked on? Well, like, she's we, a scapegoat. We could have said this every episode. There is somebody who's like this. Like I think Tara was certainly that person last week, and. I I think that's just the way that we're telling the story Mm -hmm. because I'm starting to see it. And again, this is kind of, I was saying before we got on that maybe it's good that we don't have Phil here so that I can 
be a little freer with my criticism. Mm-hmm. I feel bad telling Phil where I'm I mean, spotting weakness in his I show. I will say that uh, he's probably listening. I, I'm sure he is listening, and I I apologize, Phil, because I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a couple of of flaws in your perfect. I don't think he would machine. mind the constructive feedback. Yeah, it's all constructive. You know it is. Um, everything I say on any of these podcasts is always intended to be constructive. We're but, serving as a conduit for any feedback. To run yes, exactly. the, the wire through, yes. And I, I'm hoping that no my kinks. conduit is kink-free. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I, I feel like there is a certain storytelling element in this show where, just as when you're watching Amazing Race, if somebody has a sob story up front you know that they're either winning the leg or going home. And in this show, I think Phil has mentioned he knows that that is something we look for, but he's found another thing that he puts into this show where if somebody falters in the team challenge and they spend a lot of time on it, you can be sure that you're going to see them come up later, uh, screwing it, screwing the pooch on the individual challenge and winding up in the in the overtime. And the other thing is I, I called it about 10 minutes into the episode. It was going to be Lewis and Michelle in overtime because we spent a lot of time talking about Lewis in the previouslys, And then we spend mm. a lot of time uh. talking about Michelle in the team challenge. Mm-hmm. I think from a storytelling angle, it's really, you end up sort of implying that this, the people that go to the bottom the most times are the liabilities in every aspect. And I don't feel like that is necessarily an accurate reflection of what's going on. So we've had Michelle kind of falter a couple of times now and wind up in overtime in both of the episodes where we talk about that. And then I think it doesn't really serve the story to have that be the thing that's going on. And I don't necessarily know how accurate that is a reflection of, is Michelle a liability to the team? I don't think she necessarily is Mm -hmm. because we had that same conversation about an entirely different person last week. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I, and I, and I would hate to think that, you know, the 61 year old woman who's tiny is a liability to the team. And I think Mm -hmm. that's something that, that they are really actively trying not to convey. Yeah. I would say uh, with in, in regards to Michelle and with Tara last week that I, I, while both of them did go to the OT, in, in the case of Tara, that I, I don't really remember Savage Crew saying that they had a problem with, with Tara, that I feel like that uh, in the case of Tara, that the issues that came up were like Tara saying, I don't feel appreciated by the group. But I don't think that the group was saying, hey, Tara is necessarily the problem in this particular challenge. Whereas uh, this week with Michelle, who also goes to the OT, she is the person that the group is saying she is the reason why we're having a problem where that she's sort of like the person that is the the group is uh, is very focused on. But in both those instances that uh, I, th- I think that those were organic things that happened. I-, I don't think that there was necessarily like a different person that was also getting uh, into confrontations with the rest of the group. Uh, but it-, it just so happened that in both cases, those people went to uh, the OT. Like, I feel like that with Luis in the previously on, I think that's probably, um, mm. you know, a-, a-, a point that you could uh, look at and say, OK, uh, they might have been tipping their hand on that one. But I just think that maybe with the case of those two women, it may have just been... A- coincidence that they happen to be 
the focus of uh, attention in the group challenge and then also went to the OT. And maybe it's a cause effect where having that sort of like uh, drama come up in the first part, it ends up being a distraction going into the individual. Now that's possible. That's that's definitely a possibility. But I mean, you also know, Rob, you've been on these shows yourself. You know that they put you in a confessional and they mm-hmm. say, OK, well, what did you think of how this person did? And mm-hmm. what did you think of how this person did? And in this moment, how did you think this person did? And they will pick the one that tells the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think and I think we also got we got a little flavor of it as well um, over on Dirty Hands. You see Danny narrating what is happening there and and he's saying this this is what our plan is. And then you get like 10 seconds of silence. Yeah, but then I thought they were going to lose once I, I was like, oh, they're really like uh, tipping their hand that Dirty Hands uh, is going to lose. But then uh, they did somehow end up uh, winning the challenge even without a plan. Yeah, I mean, that was miraculous. But not only did they do like scatter to the winds, as Miles said, like a toddler kicking over an anthill when it came to actually getting the barrels. Then they try this bastardized game of telephone where they're trying to yell numbers over a hill and it just completely fails. And yet they're still able to get there, which I don't know if that speaks to like the success of Dirty Hands or the ineptitude of Savage Crew that they were able to beat them in the end, despite making so many mistakes. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, they had a couple of really good strategies, too. I think it may have been overblown that they didn't have a plan. They looked a little bit disorganized. They weren't listening to their leader, but they also had the thing where every time they put a barrel in place, they put a rock over it so you know they already have the barrel. Yeah. I thought that was very smart. Could you talk that through a little bit, Jess? Because I was getting a little uh, lost in terms of like what the two different strategies were for the teams. Well, I could tell, I could speak to why it fell apart because Miles didn't really articulate the plan. In fact, he he, he deliberately did not articulate his plan. Mm-hmm. You have that Jesse's great so cool, calm, and collected. That's yeah. why. Mm-hmm. He's a little too chill for this, maybe. Uh, but you see them, you see them running up the hill, and Phil says, You got a plan? And Miles is like, Yep. And Phil says, you want to share it? And he says, nope. It kind of <laughs> seems like maybe he didn't share it with the rest of the group either. Mm-hmm. But it did seem like the Savage Crew's plan was to get the barrels and one at a time stack them where they need to go as they're getting them. Where Dirty Hands got all the barrels and then stacked them all once they had them all in place. And at first it seemed like Savage Crew had the right idea, but then they had... I don't know how you get one wrong because it looked like they had the right number of barrels. I wonder if they just got the number wrong. That seems like that must have been what it was. And that would have sucked because if you just had like two in the wrong spot and you need to switch them, that's one thing. But if you have to go all the way back down the hill and get another one, that is going to eat up more time. So maybe Savage Crew didn't have a prayer. Just this task reminded me of the task that they've done. I feel like a couple of different seasons on The Amazing Race. It's like the final challenge of like going into like the junkyard and trying to like find like memorize the numbers Mm -hmm. and run around like this seemed like an Amazing Race special. Yeah, it's sort of memory tasky to be Mm -hmm. sure. Um, And there was also there was a survivor challenge that was very much like this, where you had to swim to the raft and get the numbers that are the combination to the box puzzle pieces. And then you had to come back and and try your numbers and remember them the whole way. Mm -hmm. I, I do like I think it's not great TV, to be honest, like memorizing a series of numbers and then doing a math problem around them or using them to do another thing. Not not excellent tv unless you have something really physical to go with it 
But I mm. think as a challenge, it's a really effective challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially as a team challenge, right? Because it's yeah. this idea, like I said before, everyone has a different way of memorizing things. So you had like dirty hands, for instance, like, okay, I think everyone can handle a number and color. You each take care of one. And Savage Crew is like, no, no, no. We need to handicap ourselves starting off here. Two at a time. One person does the number one person does the heavy lifting. And so even just their, their different strategies, I mean, that sort of is like the component that we talk about. Listen, I will outright say here, I am very glad that Dirty Hands, despite winning, had the drama that they did. Because uh, I'm going to admit, uh, Dirty Hands is kind of boring me. Oh, they're so good. You're tired of winning. It sort of is like Savage Crew. I mean, listen, it says something that we spent the first 10 minutes of this podcast talking about Michelle and talking about Savage Crew. They're a hot mess, but they are invariably the more interesting group to talk about, with the exception of this week when Dirty Hands was really channeling its inner Savage Crew and just completely falling apart. I'm sure these are absolutely lovely people who all have stories, but I mean, I'm looking at Savage at Dirty Hands and I'm like, okay. Uh, Linda, uh, Melissa, uh, Miles had his like coming out episode this episode. So I, I gotta say, like, just the characters on Savage Crew, and maybe it's because of the dysfunction, but they are a more entertaining and drama filled group to me. And that, at the end of the day, is what makes great television. There was some conflict between the teams, uh, in terms of that it looked like uh, a couple people got run over by barrels, uh, from the other team. Uh, there was this encounter between a, a couple of the women on the Let's show. Go. Where are we getting? Out of my way! Out of my way! You don't need to be a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> I, I oh want that God. as a bumper sticker from Lynnet. <laughs> yeah. Lynette is hot, uh, get, gets hot. Uh, she's been out of the individual competition for a while. She's not making any money from being on Savage Crew. Uh, I think that uh, Lynette is uh, starting to <laughs> really uh, lose her patience. Starting well, to? Yeah. <laughs> this is kind of the beauty of not eliminating anybody from the competition and keeping them around to do the team thing because you get a lot of different ways. Like, of course we get to know them better, but you also get Lynette's continued frustration that she's still there and she's not making any money. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a little, maybe it's a little sadistic, I guess. I don't know if that's exactly the word, but to watch her be continually frustrated by, yeah, I still have to be here. I can't win the big prize. I want to be a good teammate, but we keep failing and I keep mm-hmm. not getting any money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like if that's- they kept a, they kept Kim Mullen on Oolong even after she was voted out. And she just had to keep staying on after they kept losing challenges. Why was she why is she your go-to reference? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was going to compare them more to Lamina and Kasaya mm-hmm. if we're really talking Survivor mm-hmm. Tribes because you have one team that's in- it's incredibly dysfunctional and has all the good characters on it mm-hmm. and then you have the other team where you can't remember half the people that are on it. Yeah, But the opposite thing is happening now where yeah. essentially Dirty Hands Kasaya did this episode where they did have the chaos going on yet they were somehow able to succeed because of it. Yeah. Here was a little bit of Lynette expressing her frustration about uh, what had happened. We're going to have to have a talk in the damn van. <laughs> We're going to have to have a talk in the damn van. Mike, uh, you never want to have a talk in the damn van. 
Yeah, they say, you know, they say never uh, go into the damn van angry. And I guess that's not going to be the case here where they really give like, I also like Murph, uh, you know, essentially being like confused with the Van Damme. (laughs) Exactly. And that's just a really like saggy ponytail. And that's about it. Uh, But to have Murph also like preface his dressing down Michelle by being like, now I don't mean to be mean. But Michelle, you really sucked at that game. <laughs> yeah, uh, Murph was kind of hard on Michelle. Uh, this was uh, in the damn van. Uh, this was uh, Murph t- talking to Michelle. Sometimes we just need you to be quiet and listen, Michelle. <laughs> just like to say that Michelle did take this dressing down pretty well. Well, think of what Michelle does for a living. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, if, if you want to talk about being tough as nails, I think yeah. there should be a challenge where you just get berated by irate customers mm-hmm. for an hour at a time. Oh, Savage yeah. Crew could actually win that challenge. Yes. I, I'm saying. That's, I'm that's, saying. What, that's what they're doing to each other. Like, if we're evaluating all kinds of toughness, I would say there needs to be a toughness challenge where you just get verbally abused by unhappy people and it's not your fault. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle would do great at that. And in, in this case, it was a very quick conversation and it was her fault. And she did great. I thought that was very gracious of her. I love how the van is now becoming like <laughs> they the crucible in which all of the team conflict is brewed. That's right. After every challenge. Yeah, it's sort of like the, uh, for fans of RuPaul's Drag Race, they have an untucked segment in what was formerly the Illusions Lounge, and that sort of is the area where like, all right, we're going to leave it out here on the stage, but when we get into the damn van, that's when the gloves come off, and not just because we're done using them. <laughs> just what do you think the Dirty Hands van rides are like? Uh, is it just like uh, singing show tunes and uh, <laughs> that uh, just uh, stories of Roofer Lee uh, throughout over, from over the years? Yeah, I'm going to guess that it's just Roofer Lee talking about his life interspersed with like people arguing about which radio station to put on. Yeah. Do they even run the camera in the van for <laughs> the, uh, the yeah, dirty, dirty hands? hands? I don't think we've ever seen once dirty hands sit in that van. Maybe in the first are, episode. Are you, saying, are you saying they only have one damn van van cam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> van cam. Listen, Phil said the string budget. So you gotta, you they're like, okay, we gotta put one camera in one van. It's probably gonna be Savage Crew. So yeah. Let's be honest. I don't know how much uh, footage Dirty, Dirty Hands is not really living up to its name by creating the dirtiest entertainment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, Phil always talks about how this show is on a shoestring budget. So maybe they have like, like, hey, look, let's not even waste the the time and the energy of uh, filming what's going on in Dirty Hands. Let's just f- have like a roofer Lee hold up a fl- uh, his iPhone. Then after he probably doesn't have an iPhone, but we'll just cover. Uh, we need everybody focused on what's going on over at Savage Crew in the van, in the damn van. Yeah. And, well, the other thing is, uh, I I kind of feel bad for production, in a manner of speaking, with these team challenges because so Phil said after this episode there were only three challenges left, which will be interesting to see. That takes us through episode nine, so I guess there's not going to be a team challenge in episode ten, uh, and so far. You know, uh, so then assuming what there's seven or there's eight challenges total, uh, Dirty Hands has won four, Savage Crew has won one. If Dirty Hands wins the next one, that's it. Yeah, because again, the the, the group that wins the most team challenges wins that extra money. So uh, for this whole like back and forth battle, one team might clinch the money up two thirds of the way through the season next week. Mm hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. But if that happens, I would imagine they're probably going to keep having the challenges because you still get $2,000 a piece if you win the challenges. Right. But for Savage Crew, if, if we're talking so much about how, you know, morale gets beaten down by losses, imagine go, imagine being Linnet and having to go to the worksite <laughs> being like, well, okay, I guess I'll get an extra $2,000 in my pocket while I'm looking at, you know, the rich men and women over there pocketing a nice 20 grand. What if one of the team challenges counts for double points or tri- maybe it's like Family Feud style, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Three badges of honor are up for grabs today. Yeah, I think they're like, Phil's like, okay, props department, just keep (laughs) making those things. I don't care how big they are. We need like five badges of honor. He's got to hold them up like like they're poker, like they're a poker hand. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, double or nothing. Double or nothing. You you offer how many badges of honor and whichever team wins this challenge wins it. Okay. Let's talk about one of the biggest moments from this episode where uh, we had this photo finish of that it looked very close of both teams slam the back of the the, the uh, truck bed to say they're done. And it looks like we're going to have to go to maybe the, a booth review, but both teams are wrong. So luckily... That was uh, not a uh, decision that Phil had to make. I I did email with Phil and I had asked him about, uh, were you prepared to make a call on the photo finish? He said, yes, we have cameras specifically set up for review so we can check finishes like that down to the 100th of a second. But it was not necessary because both teams were wrong. And then it was a quick fix for dirty hands to ultimately win. and. We expected some excitement, some celebration, but uh, this was like uh, Kanye with Taylor Swift that uh, <laughs> Miles was not happy about the win. This was Miles celebrating in victory. Hey, hey, before, hey, 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 before we celebrate, that was lucky. <laughs> Um, I love totally the music the cue. Winding down on the music cue. Oh, that's so good. Hey, Thank hey, you, Phil. Hey, 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 before we celebrate, that was lucky. Straight up. All, yeah, all I needed was a record track. Leader, right? Look at me when I'm talking. Y'all come on, respect, right? Right when we got down there, y'all did whatever y'all wanted to. Wow. Miles was pissed. They were lucky. I mean, he has kind of a point, but he also, we didn't get to see him communicating his plan either. Mm -hmm. We just saw, he says, I have one. And then he doesn't communicate it to Phil. And then you have everybody just kind of apparently not doing what his plan was. Mm -hmm. I did, I did think that Danny is really good at not being the leader, but then pointing out all of the ways that the actual leader is not doing his job. Are you serious right now? Yeah, <laughs> Danny, Danny, I think is like Danny might have surpassed Rufer Lee as like confessional gold. I think it's just like he he knows how to deliver it to the camera. I guess it's because he's a bit of like a schmaltzy guy. He talks about you know standing on planks and tossing sheetrock, yeah, <laughs> tossing sheetrock like it's a pizza or something. So clearly he's like an entertainer from a certain perspective. But he was definitely the person to go to to illustrate the calamity. That was Dirty Hands. But yet to Jess's point, he's sort of perfectly positioned as a reality TV contestant where he's like, great, 
I'm not being targeted uh, during the challenges, but, but then I can shit talk them in the confessionals. Yeah. Just are you saying that if you went to dinner with Drywall Danny, he would not tell you what restaurant to go to, but then after it was over, he would tell everybody about how bad the place was that you picked out? Oh my God, am I married to Drywall Danny? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> it is interesting to me, like some people, if, if, I mean, not to not to bring the bachelor into it, because we already talk too much about Survivor and the Amazing Race. But there's an interesting study to be made about who is here for what reasons, because I think some people are here in a competition and some people are here on a reality show. And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I think you do have someone like Danny who's keenly aware that he is making television. And I think he might be the only one on his team who is aware of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. You think that Danny is going to become a drywall influencer after this, Jess? I mean, he, he looks good on the stilts. Mm-hmm. I, my, my kid already says he wants to be a drywaller after he watched Danny. Wow. Walker. That might be the only kid in human history who said that. <laughs> No offense to Drywall Danny. I believe Drywall Danny actually uh, did an interview recently uh, for some sort of outlet that focuses on like highlighting like the drywaller profession. So yeah, Danny might already be out there as like uh, a bit of like a drywall social media mogul. Wow. Okay. Is, is he going to get inducted into the Drywaller Hall of Fame? <laughs> Maybe. Like First Anthony. Class. <laughs> all right uh we will talk about the individual challenge here in uh, just a moment but let's thank a sponsor for this episode of the podcast those are our friends over at KiwiCo, and KiwiCo is a big hit at my house because uh, KiwiCo is going to be the subscription box solution for entertaining and educating your children. Uh, We're all parents here, and it might feel like this summer vacation started way early for everybody who's a parent uh, with kids. Well, now it's actually the summer, and we're still trying to keep the learning at home going on, and here's a fun way to do it uh, with a box from KiwiCo. Get your child some cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to your door every month. Uh, What kid doesn't love to get something in the mail? I have done these uh, projects with my boys, and they're always a big hit. Jess, I know you've also recently gotten to uh, get hands-on with a a KiwiCo box with George. Yeah, George and I had a great time. Uh, We got a koala crate, which is for, I think ages two to four and we got to it came with a little book and some little figurines and a map of a neighborhood and so we got to read the book and follow the story around the neighborhood had a great time with that and then we also got a tinker crate uh, which was a kit where you could build your own crane out of plywood and little plastic pieces and we put the crane together and then he has not played with anything else for days and it's just like he loves to raise it and lower it and put things in the basket and see like heavier things. He's learning physics and he's like 
not even four. So that's really fun. Yeah. Phil would approve instilling the ability to build something with your own hands, uh, bring that uh, into the home. I think that that's uh, a, you know, a good thing to instill in the kids. And if you got them a toy, it's like they play with the toy. This is first off, there's the activity, the arts and crafts of building the thing. And then the thing they build is a toy. So as a parent, mm. there's a, a lot of bang for your buck with KiwiCo. Uh, do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo when they're finished. Watch their confidence be as big as their smile. As a parent, it can be hard to find creative and new things to keep your children busy and challenged, especially during these long summer days. KiwiCo has done the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together at home. There are different crates for kids of all ages and something for every kid on your list. There's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. And there's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 30% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at KiwiCo.com slash R-H-A-P. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash R-H-A-P. And we might not have any Kiwi trivia with Phil today, but we do have a word from our friends at KiwiCo. Okay. Yeah. Phil, unfortunately, had to shake his dags and uh, go to the other <laughs> stuff. So. Yeah. Did I do it right, Phil? Yeah. I think it's rattle your dags. <laughs> rattle your dags. That's what it is. Yeah. But I'm sure you have to shake them to make them rattle. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the dance move, right? Shake your dags. Yeah, I believe so. Uh, I think you could also have some uh, shipping options. I think one of the shipping options is uh, rattle your dags uh, to get your KiwiCo <laughs> box uh, to your home. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about the individual challenge. Uh, Mike, uh, what do you think of The Hurt Man? Uh, love that movie. Catherine Bigelow did a really nice uh, <laughs> Academy Award winning. Yeah, so this this was interesting. I think this was the first time we really deviated from like covering one industry slash profession in an episode. Right, because episode two was the trains, and then we went, uh, then we did the auto stuff, and then we did the farm. Last time was like the sand and the rocks. And this time we went from an oil derrick to a bunch of telephone poles, uh, and then we go inside to you know uh, string some wire up. So this was the first time I think they really diversified the industries they were covering in an episode. I'll be intrigued to see once we go suburban next time, and hopefully they're not going to a, a cul-de-sac that is soon to be destroyed. Uh, that this is not a sign of bad things to come. We'll see if they continue that trend. But, uh, you know, this was something that was sort of on our radar because I remember a good friend of the podcast, Hannah Shapiro, when she got to visit the set of uh, of Tough as Nails, got to perform this challenge. So I knew it was coming. Oh, she, I just didn't know when. she climbed the telephone pole? I did not she know this. She climbed the telephone pole. She had her own experience with a hurt man. Yes. And yeah, she was, she, able, she was able to do the work of a lineman, much like these eight contestants did. Okay, by the way, uh, you could hear Hannah Shapiro on her brand new Parks and Rec rewatch podcast, Pawnee Public Radio, available wherever you get your podcast. I'm not sure if she'll talk about the hurt man. <laughs> Maybe that could be Will Sondheim's uh, new <laughs> nickname. <laughs> the hurt man okay um jess uh have you ever encountered a hurt man in the wild uh not to my knowledge no but i think we're all hurting a little bit inside in these troubled times That's true everything i know about being a lineman comes from glenn campbell so i'm afraid i don't have a lot of interesting knowledge to impart however 
I did think this seems like a rather unusual occurrence for there to be someone up on top of a telephone pole who is so injured he can't come yeah. down on his own mm-hmm. and you have to go up and rescue him like how many telephone pole rescues does the average lineman encounter yeah this really felt like a, a lifeguard rescue situation just up a pole instead of in the water <laughs> just climbing a tree and, yeah. and they can't get back down yeah okay so so you're saying that the uh, the task uh that of, of there being some sort of a injured or comatose uh, electrical Cold worker. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I do you think the that, pole and I you know, myself into a coma? If it's a if it's a power line, I could see that you're up on the power line and you touch the wrong thing and you electrocute yourself and you're still like stuck there in the harness and someone's got to let you down. Yeah. Okay, I guess I could see that. Would that be the work of an EMT, or they would send another uh, lineman up there to go shimmy up the pole and then free? the injured uh, or um <laughs> comatose, or comatose. <laughs> man <laughs> i think it would have to be it would have to be the lineman that would have to go up and get him because EMTs are not trained to climb the pole mm-hmm. um so i i think then the after you drop him on his head on the ground yeah i was going to say the EMT i mean it- is there if that poor person's comatose, Young did not make the situation any better for that poor man because he dropped him straight on his head to to propulse any sort of brain damage he's already received. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, this was this was weird because to Jess's point, like I, I I didn't think of, I thought for some reason that the the propulsion of an electrical shock would like I don't know maybe I'm thinking of like cartoons or like the Brady Bunch movie would like send you flying. Mm-hmm off beyond the pole but i guess the harness is to that point though i think for a lot of people a lot of the struggle came with digging those spiked boots into the telephone pole to begin with yeah what about this scenario jess a person's first day on the job they get up there paralyzed in stage fright or not maybe not stage fright but uh paralyzed in fear this happens i think a lot for lifeguards that a kid like goes up on the high diving board and then is afraid to uh (laughs) come down doesn't want to jump uh could this be the scenario where you have to climb up and then help another person down yeah maybe I I mean, again, this is like something a cat does. They get up the tree and they can't get back down. Um, I don't know how often that happens, though. Yeah. And I, you know, all of these people purported to have some sort of fear of heights. And I was Mm. surprised not to see someone get really get really weird about it up there but i guess you don't actually have to get down that's not part of the challenge you could stay up there all day after you let the guy down i guess so i think you do have to get down to get in the damn van at the end of the day eventually Eventually. but damn van can drive up the pole and pick you up i'm assuming (laughs) or you could just like park the damn van at the bottom of the pole and you could just drop down (laughs) through the skylight yeah i guess so mike it seems like that Murph was about to have a story about uh why he was had a particular issue with heights yeah, Murph said like, well, Murph said he did a lot of height stuff while he was deployed. And you would think like, OK, clearly this big incident happened that caused him not to. But no, it seemed like it was more so like once he came back, he just didn't like heights anymore. Like it just slowly grew into something sort of like how you like have a I don't know. So you 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 uh, study abroad and you eat a lot of uh, ceviche and then you come back and you're like, I don't really like ceviche anymore. Mm-hmm. It sort of is like that with Murph and Heights. OK. Uh, just there were two heats. Danny got to pick uh, who 
ran each heat. Uh, what did you think about Danny being in pole position? Uh, no pun intended. Once again. <laughs> well, again, we talked about this a little bit last week. I really need to see someone other than Danny and Murph winning a challenge. Mm-hmm. This is really starting to get old. And especially the way that that Murph is kind of looked to as the de facto leader of Savage Crew, even when he's not the leader of the task. This is hard to this, this is hard to watch, um, especially when you consider they're the only white guys in the mix. And we're supposed to be showing that people of all backgrounds and abilities mm-hmm. can be tough as nails. It's like, okay, but the toughest of the toughest nails are Danny and Murph. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that being said, I think Danny was smart to put Murph in the other heat because then that's one, that's the person he knows is most likely to beat him. And he wants to make sure he maximizes his chances of not being the last person as much as possible. Okay. We saw in Heat 1 uh, that it was ultimately uh, Luis that would be the loser. Mike, I thought this would be Luis's challenge. I mean, he says, I wouldn't say this is a, a, a complete backdoor five hole, but, you know, him saying, like, I climbed 20, 30, 40 stories. If the challenge was, you know, uh, deal with heights, then I think Lewis would do it. But, yeah, I, I don't really think we saw why he lost. Like, I don't remember any Phil mm-hmm. commentary that was like, Lewis really struggling. I guess it just more so seemed like the other three were faster than him. And maybe, who knows, maybe that broken finger came into play as well. So that was one of the things that I had emailed Phil about uh, with any things that we wanted to discuss from the episode. I asked uh, Phil about, were you surprised that uh, Luis uh, struggled so much with the pole challenge? And he said, uh, no, his finger was fractured. And you said he had no issues getting up and down, but the dexterity that he needed to work with his hands Mm -hmm. really slowed him down. Uh, I admire that he didn't make his finger the reason for his loss. It seems like the kind of guy he is. Mm -hmm. I I had another question pertaining to workplace safety and injuries. The number of people that lost their hard hats as they were climbing (laughs) was really distressing. And I was concerned that someone was actually going to injure themselves in a much worse way, because as you can see, if you fall off that thing, you are going to hit your head and it, it is going to be bad. You will wind up like Young's hurt man. You yeah, would be a real hurt man. Ideally, if you had an injury, you'd want something where you just lose consciousness up there uh, at the top of the pole and not something where you uh, are unable to have another person lower you with a bungee cord. Yeah, I, I mean, in fairness, I guess if you were injured up there and you didn't have your hard hat on, someone could come up there and get you because that's the whole point of the exercise. <laughs> right. You got, Hold on. Do you have your hard hat on? You got seven other people who could go up there and at least give you a hard yeah. hat. I'll throw it to you. Hold on. Oh, <laughs> and you're comatose now. <laughs> oh, wait, no, now, now the hard hat has I've, hit you in the head. Yeah, I've inadvertently knocked you out. <laughs> or I'll be right up. <laughs> Just wait a minute. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that was that was weird. I I thought for a second that maybe Phil, if he was trying to be a little Samantha Samantha, to be like, you have to go down and get your hard hat. But it seemed more so they're like, yeah, it's it's fine. Just just keep going. <laughs> just yeah. do the challenge. Um, yeah. Mike, uh, I also thought that Lewis that I I don't know if he has like the best uniform to compete in some of these challenges. I feel like he wears very tight jeans, uh, Lewis. Mm. Well, listen, that's he wanted to go for like the Hachi Machi demographic of the one that <laughs> everyone, would thir- everyone would thirst over. And now he's paying the piper for it. He has to work. He has to climb a telephone pole in skinny jeans. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll come back around, Lewis. Yeah. Skinny jeans and a scoop neck. 
It was a toss-up between Lewis and Cody Calafiore for uh, Titus <laughs> Jeans on CBS TV last night. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know, I don't think Kirsten McKinnis was pl- praying that uh, Lewis gets gray sweatpants anytime soon in his uniform. <laughs> I did want to talk a little bit about wardrobe, and this was one of the things on my list to ask Phil about, and I'm sure it was not on Rob's list, so <laughs> this is something we'll have to find out from okay. him at some other point. But I noticed that in the team challenge, everybody's got their matching car hearts. And then in the individual challenge, everyone wears the exact same outfit every single time. So my question is, do they have someone who launders everybody's outfits overnight? Oh. Or do they just have multiple identical outfits? Oh, that's a great question. It's a big, it's a standout thing. Like once you see what people's signature thing is, like you have Michelle's cardigan, mm-hmm. you have Lewis in his jeans and his scoop neck, and you have Danny in his volleyball shorts. <laughs> and I, I just have to know, like if when Danny goes back to his trailer, does he have like, eight pairs of volleyball shorts or mm-hmm. does he have to leave them in a bag for someone to wash them on the day when they're doing the team? Yes. You're assuming that everybody's clothes are laundered between challenges. I think it's also a realistic possibility that, Hey, these are uh hardworking people. Maybe they're just <laughs> yeah. like, uh, like nobody is laundering our clothes on survivor. Yeah. They're, well, they're, no. they're stinky all the time on the job. Why have it be different here? I mean, that's a fair point, but then we'd be able to track the accumulation of grime mm-hmm. because they go to different job sites. I'm like, oh, well, there's gravel. Yeah, I wonder if one of the, the unfortunate perks of being eliminated is that you are no longer afforded laundry privileges. <laughs> that you have to sit in your same dirty uniform while you watch the individual challenge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good questions. These are, these or, are good questions. Or maybe if you're eliminated, your job becomes you have then to, to do, do all everybody's laundry. laundry. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I got to wash like that. Danny's yeah, to, to, volleyball shorts again. To, I mean, to answer your question, just going back to, again, uh, the acclaimed shoestring budget that Phil is talking about, my thing would be it'd probably be more affordable to watch them on the day where they do the team challenges instead mm-hmm. of buying however number of the same <laughs> outfit in the same size for them to wear like they're a cartoon character. Mm. Okay. Um, we had heat number two. Danny. He loves heights. Jesse, Danny puts on a show and like dances for people up on top of uh, the uh, beams when he's in a construction site. Well, I mean, I think Danny aspires to be taller than he is because he's very short. Mm -hmm. So he likes to go up on something and like look down and be like, hey, look, I'm taller than you now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Such a showman. Uh, no, I'm imagining like I don't know if there's ever Danny Drywall the musical. Like his I want song is him standing on a two by ten and twirling a thing of, of well, he raps that he wishes he was a little bit taller. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Drywall the musical, Mike. Can you start working on this? I suppose so. Look, it's going to be a little while before Broadway opens up, so I guess I have a little bit of leeway time. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to open on Broadway right now. Yeah. <laughs> Jess, what would Drywall Danny's review be of uh, Drywall the Musical? (laughs) I mean, also, Drywall the Musical, the reviews write themselves, right? Like, with the title in there... This is from Drywall Danny's review after he did not not write the (laughs) musical himself. Well, and I assume he's not starring as himself. Like, we've gotten some, like long-standing Broadway superstar to yes. play the role. Unauthorized yeah, drywall. Danny drywall. Yeah. 
Well, I I would have to imagine he would have a lot of issues with the technical aspects of the drywalling. He would be like, nobody would ever hold a piece of drywall like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Danny's going to real Neil deGrasse Tyson drywall the musical. <laughs> yeah. This is my reaction upon seeing drywall the musical. I have no reaction. <laughs> turn that into a TikTok. Yeah, turn it into a TikTok uh, for the drywall influencer, Danny. I, I will. I will say, if if Phil was here right now, I really seriously doubt we'd be down the path of drywall musical. So that's a hidden blessing. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Uh, Michelle, she is going into the OT again, and. She has no fear. Uh, she is not intimidated, Michelle. This was her uh, headed into her battle against Lewis. Don't be pampering me too much because I got to whip your ass next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michelle's almost like laying curses on people where she did this with Lee. Now she does it with Lewis where she walks over the first day is like, I'm going to beat you. And then she does. I don't know if it's self-actualization or her actually like putting some sort of hex on them to just completely flub it in the challenge. No, a halting hex. Jess... <laughs> It was never in doubt for me that Michelle was winning this. Like as soon as Lewis was measuring with the conduit and <laughs> Michelle got out the electrical tape to measure, uh, it seemed like that this one was uh, like, I feel like that some of these battles have been very close, have gone back and forth. This one just was a runaway for Michelle. Yeah. I, I mean, it really plays to Michelle's strengths, like the being able to problem solve on the fly. We've working seen her by do yourself that really well. also. Yes. Working by yourself. <laughs> one of Michelle's strengths. She's a self-starter. Uh, yeah. And she also, she mentions that, uh, you know, she's the one that does all the improvements around the house. Uh, I, I thought that was weird that she told her husband to stop buying her kitchen appliances. And so he just started buying her power tools. <laughs> yeah. Did she yeah, I want power tools? I, I couldn't yeah, tell I from couldn't, that story. Yeah, I think this man just has a tough time getting gifts for his wife is what it sounds like. Like, oh, you like the kitchen? No. All right. How about a drill? I mean, I guess he lucked out on this. And I also live in a very similar household situation where mm-hmm. my spouse is definitively the one that can wield a better power tool because uh, I ended up paying dividends here for Michelle and that she kicked absolute but this might be the most dominant performance we've seen in an overtime challenge yet like the one thing she ran into was oh one of her pipes was a little short and so she had to slightly adjust it Mm -hmm. yeah just lewis was having a lot of problems bending the pipe you could tell he had not ever worked with the pipe bender in his life Mm -hmm. and i suspect that that michelle probably has at some point in the past uh, because she seemed to understand what she needed to do with it and it was just like he's never handled a piece of pipe in his life. Which seems odd because isn't his job in construction? Yeah, it's isn't scaffolding made of pretty much that exact <laughs> kind of pipe? But he might not work in pipes. He might work in like beams or something that might be different. He also was using more of like a roughshod method, I would say. Where like first he tries to cut the pipe only to realize... Uh, you know, they say measure twice, cut once for a reason. So if you measure zero times, your cut's not going to be that accurate. Mm-hmm. And then once he goes into the pipe bender, he starts like using his feet yeah. to do so. And I think that's when things really Although, start going awry. I do wonder perhaps that he could, could he not use the tool because of the condition of his hand? Mm. That's true, too. It looked like you needed to have a particular amount of torque on it. And if you can't use all your fingers, you probably can't. Yeah. So that's a tough draw for Lewis there in, in the OT. 
Yeah, well, I also think, Michelle, again, this is going back to like the working smarter, not harder thing where Lewis's initial approach, at least, was like, all right, I'm going to take like just four or five little pieces and connect them all. And Michelle's like, no, I'm just going to think about this as three big U's. And then that way there's less to connect and there's less to thread through. And that ultimately was the better strategy because there was much less to work with. She, I don't think she had to really cut anything, at least from what we saw. It was just more about strategic bends. Yeah. Wait, 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 Mike. Was one of them an upside down you? Oh. I mean, she hustled. That's true. And Lewis's finger wish it was healed. And Michelle did become the hero after that. Just is it also an underreported story when we get talk about Savage Crew in terms of like the injuries that are piling up? Like they say in the NFL, like it's uh, you know, whoever's the healthiest at the end of the season is the team that has the best chance to go all the way between you have Lewis with his finger, you have a Linnet that Phil had mentioned about she has a problem with her shoulder. I feel like that Young has a problem with his back. Like, I feel like that they really are like the walking wounded. Yeah, it's true, but it's also a testament to their toughness that they're still walking around on these injuries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, where Dirty Hands has uh, seemingly been more injury-free so far. I mean, seemingly. Mm -hmm. You know, like anytime you interview somebody after they've, run like for example the amazing race like every single one of them is like well i was walking around on a you know two broken legs and oh yeah my you know my hands were broken and my balls were twisted and (laughs) (laughs) like all of them are you know near death the entire time they're running the race so i think everybody's probably got injuries we just only hear about the ones that affect their performance I also wonder if like the efficiency in which Dirty Hands has worked the past couple of challenges also helped them. Like I can imagine when Savage Crew has done their myriad scrambling in these challenges that they've just like been throwing themselves into it to the point that like I could see Young pulling his back as they were flailing around the past couple of weeks to to you know solve a challenge. So I can imagine that maybe some of the workplace injuries from Savage Crew's perspective might have been from them just clamoring all over the place with the exception of this week really. Yeah, it's true. If you don't have a plan, you are more likely to get hurt. And I've looked at a lot of these challenges and been like, oh, if I had to do this, I would probably wind up in the ER. I'm thinking specifically of um, stripping tires. Like they had those Mm -hmm. box cutters and they were whipping them around. I'm surprised nobody severed a finger with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we think Savage Crew should rename themselves the hurt men and women as a result of this? (laughs) Yeah. As an homage to uh, the guy that was comatose at the top of the uh, totem pole. Yeah, exactly. That's their mascot. He's their seventh team member. (laughs) Put him in the front seat of the van, like crash test (laughs) coming. With Murph, the front seat is just the the dummy driving. Murph's like, we got to have a talk about the hurt man. Michelle, we just want to take the example from the hurt man. Okay, we he's valuable part of this team. We don't hear from him, Michelle. (laughs) That's your role model. He just sits there quietly. He and just does sits his there, job. doesn't talk back, doesn't have his own plans, doesn't wander off and go to the bathroom. Michelle, I just, I just imagine Phil pulling up in his truck and okay. being like, "All right, Savage Crew, you've been failing a little bit, so we've got you a new team member. Bring him <laughs> in." And it's just like the dummy gets thrown onto the yeah. ground. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, let's meet your new team member. Uh, it's the Hurt Man. <laughs> Plop. <laughs> <laughs> for some reason now i'm getting the image from survivor thailand of a uh, chewy gone with chewy gal the giant doll of they had to drag around yeah danny is reacting are you serious right now wow it's like where's well, our hurt man look out danny 
Anthony, Hurt Man's playing your role in Drywall the Musical. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Linnet's pissed. We're going to have to have a talking damn van. Yeah. <laughs> not happy. Somebody's not pulling its weight. We have to pull its weight. All right. Uh, anything else from episode number six, which CBS All Access calls episode number five? Weird. Uh, as as much of a badass as Michelle, uh, you know, might not have been in the first half of the episode. I thought the the like uh, you know Diablo move of her blowing on the drill and putting it in her pocket was was pretty badass. It was a strong finish for Michelle in what otherwise was not a, a strong start. So I guess she was, we thought she might go full Terra this episode and just having a complete downward spiral, but she seemed not to do that. She no, she pulled out of the nosedive in the end. Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of a recurring theme that, I, that I'm really appreciating is the way that people notice what's going on and adapt to it. And you don't often see that on reality TV. I think people go in with the preconceived notion of what they're supposed to be doing and then they do it. But here we kind of see them changing things up on the fly and looking back on what, what they did right, and what they did wrong. And I think it's like we talked about with Phil last week, like the thing that would be the most compelling TV is if Savage crew like gets their act together and it looks <laughs> like they started to do that and they're starting to examine themselves really well. So I have high hopes that they're not going to be totally shut out for the rest of the season. Okay. Uh, looking ahead to next week, uh, Phil gave the teams a uh, little tease for what was coming up next. Hey, guys, tomorrow you're going to get trashed. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Who knew that Phil had a little bit of Gronk in him? <laughs> <laughs> going to get trashed. These guys are going to get faded. <laughs> I, I do... I do wonder about this pivot away from having themed challenges. Like we went to three different places today and it looks like next week we're going to be going to three more different places. And I kind of like it better. Like maybe it's just like my short term memory is completely shot from all of the reality TV I've watched in my life. But I kind of liked it when it was farm week and gravel week mm -hmm. and to have it kind of disperse like that with no connection between the challenges, I wonder how that's going to play. I, I kind of, I noticed it this week and I didn't really love it, even though separately they were all good challenges. I really, I like it better when there's some narrative cohesion. Well, mm -hmm. I think next week, it looks like the team challenge looks like they're, they might be moving. Uh, I saw people like loading out certain appliances and it looks like the individual challenge. I mean, listen, if people love the spills on the Big Brother 22 premiere, just you wait for next week when they try to take out the trash and run after a garbage truck. <laughs> <laughs> next week, uh, Phil said that we have uh, Savage Crew is down uh, one to Dirty Hands four. Savage Crew uh, made huge progress working together as a team this week. But can they get Michelle back in the mix? Uh, I'm not sure if he's talking about uh, the spec mix. <laughs> and they try to even up the score with only three team challenges left. Or uh, will Dirty Hands run away with more wins because they're too strong? That's what's coming up next week on Tough yeah, as Nails. I, I I will say next week uh, feels the most relatable to me between someone who just moved and someone who now resides in suburbia. Like it, these seem like the the most at home problems, yes. quite literally for me. So I'm excited for that content personally. It's someone who's total trash. <laughs> yep, exactly. Now, I exactly. was going to say trash. that a person who likes to get trashed. Ah, well, who doesn't? Really? <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> All right. 
Uh, Mike, anything else you want to add about this episode? Uh, speaking of relatability, I think my, my favorite exchange from this episode was uh, Callie asking before the challenge if everyone had their zippers up, in which Danny replied, nope, and then just ran on forward. I <laughs> experience that problem quite often, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, that we know. <laughs> that, that I, is... on the other hand, was a man whore. Yes. <laughs> Zipper was often an inconvenience back in those days. Did you just drop that in the toughest nails folder because you knew we were going to need it? At no, some I just had that soundboard open. Okay. Too much laying pipe to uh, not make that reference. Today I learned Mike Bloom has his own soundboard. <laughs> no, that, that's just like on a miscellaneous one with a bunch of other stuff. Okay. All right. It's universally applicable, Jess. Yes. Fair. Okay. All right, Jess. What do you have going on uh, besides uh, talking with us every week about Tough as Nails? Well, nothing as important as this. Yes, clearly. clearly. Uh, yeah, I had an article drop on primetimer.com about Catfish the series, which has been on for an inexplicable eight seasons and is about to start its ninth. Mm-hmm. So that that was a fun little deep dive. Um, and then next week, we're going to be starting up Mole Patrol again. Uh, Josh Wiggler and Brooklyn Zed and I are re-watching the 2001 reality series, The Mole. And we're hoping that Anderson Cooper will take a page out of Phil's playbook and come and join us on the podcast at some point. But we haven't really launched our full campaign to get that to happen. So who knows if that's ever going to come to light. But those are kind of the two other big things on my plate right now. I'm doing a little bit of appearing on other podcasts writing when i can and yeah that's me okay of course uh jess also joined us on the wiggle room this past week to talk about yeah. a, a plethora amount of subjects uh but most notably the double idol play from poverty shallow in heroes versus villains uh with myself and serena foster uh check that out at rob has a website.com as well mike what's new with you <laughs> so uh rob mentioned the past survivor episode liana boris and i did a uh simultaneous b&b as well where we got into a lot of subjects around the episode a lot of fun quizzes submitted by listeners of course as it's been mentioned it is big brother season so i have a lot going on liana and i have also started the big brother b&b so we did one for the preseason we're probably going to do one not this coming weekend but next weekend because uh we've only had one episode to watch so far and while it was certainly an episode to take note of mm-hmm. uh we wanted to wait to get the first week under our belt yeah. will you do week. double duty some weeks you'll do a, a two different b&b's yeah, only for the next couple weeks uh it was very it's a very weird place mm-hmm. i feel like dr jekyll and mr hyde from a certain capacity to get in like survivor mode and then big brother mode alternating between podcasts yeah uh, and speaking of which should be I one show it's just just a just a mishmash yeah i feel like that uh how could the the all of like the like uh references not bleed into one another i i feel like oh, uh it's all blood at this point, Rob. We made so many references to other reality shows in this podcast. We cannot <laughs> tamper ourselves down here. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of Big Brother, I think this is not necessarily evergreen, but I feel like it can still apply, uh, even though the cast is far from hypothetical. So I did a really fun podcast. Myself, Nick Idanza, Bryce Isaiah, Shannon Gus got together, and I did a casual cast assessment with them. Those three have barely seen Big Brother to the or never seen Big Brother in their lives. And essentially, I showed them the people that might com- be competing, and they had to guess who they were and what they did to become an all-star. So I 
absolutely encourage people to check it out. It was one of the most fun podcasts I've been a part of uh, in quite some time. So be sure to check that out on the, on the YouTube channel. Outside of that, usual stuff uh, with Beyond Top Chef and Lost Down the Hatch. And I'll, I'll be doing some appearances on the TV Guide podcast this week as well, talking some BB-22. So a lot of, lot of with iron the big the brother fire. brothers with the with the big big brother brother brothers i think is like the official weird sandwich like name of their podcast so yeah i'll be on with uh with lance and fox coming up this weekend okay uh we're very excited we have a new offering here on our rehab ups network we are venturing into the world of 90 day fiance puya zambakili is going to be hosting a weekly look into the world of 90 day fiance all of the different spinoffs uh you can check that out in our rehab ups feed or you can subscribe to the brand new rob slash 90 day fiance feed uh, to go ahead and get that on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Rob has a website.com slash 90 day fiance. And we appreciate your feedback and star ratings here whenever we're starting out a new podcast feed. Uh, so check that out. We're very excited about that. And of course, all this podcasting is made possible by the patron support of Rob Has a Podcast. You can get access to our patron podcast feed, our patron Facebook and Discord community, and much more at robhaswebsite.com slash patron. We'll be back next week, hopefully uh, rejoined by Phil Kogan to talk about week seven or episode seven of Tough as Nails. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.